Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you so much for joining me here on the program. And I am excited to have on my guest today, Caden Rosenbaum. And we are talking about Elon Musk. Did I say your last name correctly? I should have asked. Yeah, you did. All right. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm known for not doing that. Uh, so, I don't think I don't think anyone has ever not pronounced my name correctly. Okay, it's not like uh, like Feinstein or Feinstein or whatever. It's different. It's just I'm I'm pretty fanatically correct. I'm usually the first. Uh, so, <laughs> Caden is the technology and innovation analyst, policy analyst at the Libertas or Libertas Institute, depending on where you're at, Very based good. in Lehigh, Utah, Utah. Excuse me, and he's a Young Voices contributor. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. You just wrote an article in The Spectator called Musk Wants to Fix Twitter. Good luck. And I yeah. think you and I, based on this article, are sort of in the same mind. I don't know why he did this. Uh, <laughs> uh, for, let me start with um, why do we care? Uh, it just seems like this has dominated the conversation for two months. Why do we care about this? You know, honestly, whenever uh, my comms team tells me to tweet more, I ask the exact same question because I, I'm not a, I've never been a huge fan of Twitter or, or posting on social media, but uh, in the last like five or six years, uh, there's been a big conversation around something called tech clash, uh, which is to say that m- people are getting angry at tech companies for what they say is shadow banning them or uh, promoting ideals that they don't agree with and, and pushing them to the top. And it's been this big push, right, to come after tech companies, and it's scored really great political points. It's an easy, uh, little batter up, you know, kind of thing. And so, social media has come to the forefront because the biggest tech companies are, are social media, and Twitter is one of them. And uh, Elon Musk, at some point, uh, I want to say, had a tweet taken down. Right? I'm going to tell you about the domino theory that I thought was hilarious. Uh, had a tweet taken down, and it says, uh, you know, that there's this meme. And it's a little domino and then a bigger domino and a bigger domino. And at the beginning, it's like Elon Musk has his tweet taken down. And then it's like buys Twitter for $44 billion so he could say whatever he wants. Um, A lot of people say that this purchase of Twitter is going to be good for free speech. Other people say it's going to be bad for free speech. It's going to create some like bad content that people shouldn't be seeing, like, you know, pro-child porn stuff or something. And I think that both takes are, are interesting. Uh, it's definitely been dominant in the news cycle, if not just kind of trolling on Elon because of how poorly Twitter is going right now. Uh, but that's that's why we care is really because this is sort of about free speech. And on the other hand, it's about $44 billion for a company that is free, right? It's a free service, or it was for a little bit. You argue that the business model is basically played out, that they're Tumblr, that they're MySpace, that there's there's not much juice left in this, and that he's going to have a really hard time finding any way to turn it around financially. Yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, looking at the, the numbers of users leaving Twitter, even before the purchase of uh, Twitter by Elon Musk, uh, and especially now when people think that it's going to, uh, there was all trending hashtag, you know, Twitter shut down recently. Uh, I think looking at those numbers, it's pretty clear that what people are doing is either getting off of social media in the first place because they've taken back control of their lives or they're moving on to a different platform where the content is different. It's something that they enjoy watching instead of, you know, little angry tweets or debates over uh, Twitters and retweets. I, I think people are, are getting tired of that. And 
MySpace, when it started, was awesome, right? It was a great business model. Now, 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 listen here, Caden. Let me ask you a question. (laughs) Did you ever even have a MySpace profile? Oh, yes, I did. How old are you? Let me ask you that. Oh, I'm 28. I'm 28. I've got enough years to have... All right. I think you're like you're like me till about two years ago. You have a you have a baby face, and then two years ago, oh, yeah. my baby face went away. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I hope it never goes away. But I think if I keep flying as much as I do, it's gonna yeah. <laughs> no, so I mean, everybody was really happy with MySpace until we found Facebook. And for me, finding Facebook was all about Farmville, uh, which was the yep. thing that attracted me to Facebook. Um, and MySpace was great until it just didn't matter anymore, right? People didn't actually really care about profile music or, or a background for your profile. And it wasn't, it, it, the user interface wasn't uh, something that would keep them on the platform. It ran its cycle. The same thing kind of happened with Tumblr uh, with some caveats, right? Like Tumblr was great for, uh, you know, sad people, poets, artists, uh, you know, content creators who were just out there doing their thing. Uh, I was there too. I, I just really wished it didn't die. But what happened with, with Tumblr is that it took they it, it was bought and sold by a bunch of different companies, and at some point they decided to ban all not safe for work content. You know, like uh, people who are in the sexual performance business, they didn't let them on the platform anymore, and that was kind of a big driver for Tumblr at that point in time. Uh, it took away the features and their business model. It ran its cycle. You know, it, it's over. Right um, at this point, it's more like a, of a novelty to still have a Tumblr account and. Does I it still, still have that novelty. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh. Us, twenty people, <laughs> still going strong. I I, no, I, I had I, a MySpace I account. I know MySpace still exists. Like Justin Timberlake bought it, and it's music based. <laughs> That's news to me. Yeah, I I did abandon MySpace finally. Yeah, uh, I don't think my profile's active. Uh, I don't think anyone needs to see the pictures of me in my BlackBerry. <laughs> Side swoop hair anymore. Yeah, I, I just abandon it. I think I like Twitter the best because it's almost like a blog aggregator. It's it's yeah. it's not like Facebook, which is trying to be new AOL with every feature under the sun and is just incomprehensible. And if you run a page, forget it. You don't know what you're doing there either. Um, and it's just sort of like an annoying product. Like Instagram's right. fun. I really like Instagram. Yeah, Snapchat, Snapchat, useless now that I'm married. Oh, yeah, right? And, you know, but Twitter, like, you can find so many interesting people there. So you're you're basically saying, like, those interesting people are leaving, and that's going to be a real problem. Yeah, and really just, there's only a handful of interesting people. It doesn't really matter if they're on Twitter, if the people who are, you know, they don't have, like, really interesting jobs like you and me where like we're on we're on radio stuff and we're talking to each other about ideas and we're being thought leaders like for people who are just like on there just to chill if they're leaving twitter it doesn't matter how many interesting people you have it's just a bunch of like interesting people talking to each other which they might as well just send an email at that point right yeah and i think that's an important uh perspective to have on this is that twitter is really great for me to to be talking about policy to connect with other policy people. Uh, it's basically like LinkedIn for me. You know, and I, I add people as I meet them or as I read their things. I don't think that the average everyday user uses Twitter like that. I don't, I don't think that that's a normal experience that I'm having with Twitter. And there's only a handful of people like me. And so what does yeah. that say for Twitter's business model if they're not attracting people who are not like me, which is the vast majority of people? Yeah, Twitter really feels like the, the freak out over 
Musk buying it, it's it's overdone and overrepresented in the media. And my theory, and I'll ask you why the media is so tuned in on this, but my theory is that it's a lot of people who were not popular in high school got jobs that gave them some modicum of success and fame, and they got a blue check mark. And now someone is taking that status symbol away from them, and now they're upset. I feel because, seen. Right. I feel seen. Right? I don't have a blue check mark. I didn't pay $8, nor have I ever oh. pu- published. Oh, like, I did. I, well, I know, but you've like published articles, so I haven't published like three yeah. articles on like the top 10 My Little Ponies in yeah. some blog mill and then got my check mark. No, that's not so. <laughs> that's what you did, but like that's sort of like... The, the blue check mark system's crazy. You can run for office for a township trustee office and be and as insane yeah. as yeah. possible and get a blue check mark. But that's why I think the conversation around it is so big. Is that you, I think you're onto something, and I hadn't thought about that. Is that it is a lot of these people talking to each other, mm-hmm. and there's not many other people listening anymore. If I there mean, ever was. <laughs> It is interesting to tune into the conversations, right? To, to watch a debate happen. I've only had one debate. I'm terrified of Twitter debates. They make me so nervous. But to watch other people's debates, you know, and extrapolate some ideas and, and get to the heart of what they really think, that is interesting, right? But it's not interesting to most people. They really don't care usually. Uh, they want to see, and you know, 30 seconds or less, the whole point, and it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be interesting. And a lot of people think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's great. I also want to see things in 30 seconds and be able to know what you're talking about. Um, and for a while, I think Twitter was great because it was 140 characters and you had to make it fit. Um, but at this point, I don't know that people are very interested in that. You know, they're they're losing interest in. The, this whole reading uh, people's thoughts and opinions over and over again every day. Why, why do you think that just everybody's got their own, you know, the the shooting that just took place? We found out the day we're recording this that, you know, his mega maga grandfather may not have been as influential uh, in, in all of this. And, you know, but the last five days, everybody's got their own press department and yeah. releasing statements. And is it just opinion fatigue? I don't know. It's almost like overwhelming with uh, overwhelming people with information and different takes. And you might hear a take. This is what happens to me all the time. I thought daylight savings was abolished. Let me just say that. Let's start with that. You, you, you see a take and it's like daylight savings is abolished. And you're like, wow, that's very cool. And they link to an article and you don't really read anything else. But you missed the tweet, like 10 tweets down. That was like, there's a fake daylight savings time uh, thing that's going around. It's not real. You missed that. Or you do read it and then you're like, I don't know what to believe. Now I have to really look into this. That's, that's, that takes a lot of mental energy. Um, the brain can only handle so much every day. And unless you're just packing a ton of nutrients in your body somehow, it's 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 overwhelming, right? And I think that that's one of the problems that Twitter is having now is that not only are people overwhelmed with uh, takes, they're also not getting it in a very interesting way. It's like, for example, I'm uh, I'm a millennial, so I don't really have a TikTok. I have Instagram Reels. I'm entertained by Reels, and they can convey information to me, but it's entertaining and it's enjoyable to look at versus a tweet. Just like, oh, I have to read now. This okay. is less fun, right? So let's talk about uh, his job performance so far. We're recording this in late November. Uh, I've got to be honest. Like, I thought he was a genius. And at one point was the richest man in the world. He was, like, worth $350 billion. He's, <laughs> as of today, worth $150 billion and lost $8 billion yesterday. 
And those aren't, I'm not being facetious. Those are like close to the numbers. numbers. Yeah. Um, And Tesla is shrinking rapidly because everybody is sort of going, is he trying to destroy Twitter on purpose? Is this who he is as a person? Is this like to get some sort of tax write-off because he burned $44 billion? I can't figure out what's going on. If he's just a, a, like, Borat or Mr. Bean or, like... (laughs) I don't know what what do you make of Elon Musk's performance and what he's doing? Well, I mean, before I say uh, what I'm going to say, let me just make clear: I I have read his book. I, I've I appreciate his coming up story and all that stuff. But whenever I was writing the article that I wrote about Twitter, uh, none of my I, I had I have an editor on staff, and then I sent it to Young Voices. None of my editors could believe I was saying that Elon Musk wasn't going to pull this off. They were like, "The guy's a genius. What are you talking about?" And I just went this is different. This isn't going to work. You know, there's no real reason to do this. I myself couldn't figure out why he was doing it in the first place, other than that, that funny meme where it's like a little domino leads to a bigger domino, a bigger domino, and then you're spending $44 billion on a social media company. Um, but in terms of job performance, he's doing almost exactly what I thought he would do, which is, you know, take over the thing, believe to himself that he was going to be able to like, fix the problems that uh, people said Twitter had, which is mainly like First Amendment problems. Um, he thought that he could fix those. Like the social media companies hadn't already been trying to make that more accessible, more transparent, help people understand and failing, you know, not not being able to get people to understand that they're doing their best with content moderation. And somehow he thought that he was going to fix that because he's Elon Musk. And I think that was the first problem. You know, second problem, he got locked into a contract to buy Twitter. And that's uh, that was, uh, uh, I want to say he couldn't break it. And that's why he came back and said, all right, original, original terms, let's just do this. Uh, and then finally, when he, when he got there, he fired everybody, you know, he fired a bunch of people. And I got to think that if you've got a company, you're not really sure how to run. You don't necessarily just like start firing people. You yeah. You, wanna, you like, start a job, you take say. like six months in the job to figure out where the lay of the land is exactly. before you start being a change agent. Exactly. I, like I'm I'm a big job. believer at like Chesterton's order of second thinking. Like, if there uh, is, is fundamental my my conservative nature. Like, if you see a fence, then somebody probably put that fence there for a reason. Don't just go around ripping up fences <laughs> until you yeah. figure out why that fence actually needed to be there. And I know that like all the Musk fanboys on my Twitter are saying that yeah, you can go from 7,500 employees to 800 employees and have no impact because they're just full of bloat. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced of that, because those people probably did serve some function. Yeah, it's institutional knowledge, and that's irreplaceable sometimes. Uh, I, I I think it's funny, the, the Twitter fanboy thing. You know, A lot of people, a lot of people think that Elon Musk could run any company and make it successful, because he was at some point, I don't know if he still is now, but was at some point the richest person in the world, and like maybe even in history. And, and he's wildly successful for creating cool companies, uh, things that people want that are useful. And when I went on a, when I went on Instagram like a year ago, I would see these ads and it was like marketed to me because they thought I was like a like one of those bros who's like all about self improvement. I'm not. And, and it comes down, it's like here's how to make yourself better. And one of them was like Elon Musk. That was it, just Elon Musk. And I was like, that's. That, that's very contextual. Thank you very much. I'm supposed to just contextualize what that means and apparently means success. 
that's been the, the general stigma that follows around Elon Musk is that he's going to be successful no matter what. And this is the first thing I think that he's coming up against where it's like, no, you're not just going to be successful because you are you, and you're smart, and you're a change agent. You're going to have to really work at this and really listen to other people and their ideas for running the company. And I think that that's a different change of pace for Elon Musk. Is that because he started SpaceX and Tesla and was able to build it in his image and this is just fundamentally not that? Or why do you think that he's he's going to meet his his limits here? Well, yeah. I mean, with Tesla, for example, uh, there was this account of, of him going and showing some reporter around. I can't remember where I read this. I wish I could. Uh, showing a reporter around. It's somewhere out there on the internet. And he goes into a room of engineers and he just walks in and the engineer gives him an AR headset and says, look at this design that I've got for the car. And he looks at it and goes, eh, okay. Apparently the design was really, really cool. And he just goes, eh, it's okay. Do a little better. Right. He had a lot of control over his company and it shows in his, there's a Joe Rogan podcast episode where he's there and he's just clearly exhausted, right? Just so tired because he's just working himself to death. And that's his, that's also part of Elon Musk is working himself to death to be successful. But that degree of control has been good for Tesla and SpaceX where you're building things. That degree of control is not good for something like Twitter where people are hounding you with content and you've got to make a decision on what to do with it. You need thousands of people to handle that. Uh, and trust and safety teams and, and all of it, right? You can't really exert that kind of control. And I've I thought it was I've thought it was funny so far to see him on Twitter and someone will be like, I got kicked off for saying something, and he's like, fixed it, right? And like he's the guy going in and fixing it himself. Yeah, he can't do he's it. He's a famous micromanager, right? Yeah, famously, right? And this is going to have to be a change of pace, or else he's going to have to sell it at a loss and move on with this life. I was excited because I thought I was going to get free speech, but then, you know, Kim.com says, let Alex Jones back on, and he's like, no, my first child passed away in my arms, and I could never let somebody on who's going to say this or that, and I'm like, okay, well, now we've got free speech That's at home. Um, yeah. yeah, he's, it, it, it didn't seem like it came from a place of principle, it came from a place of like, I own the and I'm going to do what I want to do with it, and... I don't know what. How do you think that the Elon Musk promised land of free speech will play out, based on your knowledge of him? Well, someone who doesn't, who's never had a problem with shadow banning, uh, I'm perfectly fine with them having no principles at all and just deciding what he wants on his platform because he owns it, right? That's his thing. That's he paid forty-four billion dollars for it. He gets what he wants. Um, but at the same time, right? I think the the interesting part of, of putting accounts back up was especially the Donald Trump uh, poll, where he polled people and said, should I put him back up on the internet? I thought that was kind of cool, uh, a nice way of doing it. That way you could at least show that I didn't just do it because I'm political. I did it because everybody wanted him back. Um, I think you should start doing that in the future for other, a little more controversial figures. That's not to say that I totally agree with them or think that they should come back on because they might actually do some harmful things with their platform. But like, it's really not up to me or, or even like any government. It's, it's his platform. And I just think that it, it was interesting and kind of cool to do a little poll there and just ask everybody. Yeah, I thought that that was an elegant way to handle it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was almost like he listened to someone and they said he should do it that way. And yeah. he finally listened and did it. What do you make of Trump not... Take it like he's baiting him. Oh yeah, with the memes, right? right? The memes of it's such an interesting thing too, right? 
when when he was deplatformed, everyone was like, he has no voice now. This is a free speech concern. He's messing up elections, or, or Twitter is messing up elections, and Facebook and all of them. And then Donald Trump got back on Twitter. He says nothing, and he's still a front runner. It didn't matter this platform. It didn't matter at all. He is the person that that people are excited about, not his Twitter account. And I thought that was an interesting uh, that was an interesting example of how. We've overhyped social media accounts and their importance for free speech. Like I, I was kind of alluding to earlier, we've overhyped what their importance is. You know, for someone like even a political uh, official, like there's other ways to reach people. Like maybe you go knock on their doors, right? You don't tweet out random stuff every day at a certain time of day. It still works if you don't have a Twitter account. You're still the front runner of the Republican Party, for example, uh, for president. And I think that this should be something that people take notice of that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been pushing for social media companies to be more like free speech centers, because that's not what's important. What's important for, for social media companies is to make an experience that's useful and, and enjoyable for users or else they'll believe users like Twitter is. But also it's important to respect that companies are companies and they own their things. And like this bookshelf behind me is, I mean, my parents so like, that's a picture of me pitching when I was like 12. My parents own the shelf. They can put whatever they want on their shelf. And if they want to invite people to put stuff on the shelf, that's great. But they can also take stuff down because it's theirs. And I think that this was an important uh, moment or an example to show that just because everybody's using the thing doesn't mean it's theirs. It's not theirs. It's someone else's property and they should still always be able to do what they want with it unless unless they're like breaking laws. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the idea that the, the, these are the the platforms, I, I guess, has the notion of the left and right, like, I, I guess if you had told me a year ago or two years ago that Twitter's almost dead, Facebook's not almost dead, but, like, heading that direction, Amazon lose a trillion dollars, like, big tech now all all of a sudden in the span of like a month feels like it's not invincible. Well, uh, it, does, it was kind of, you could kind of call it a little, right? There was science because during the, during the pandemic, they expanded really rapidly and it wasn't expansion because you had a stable user base. It was expansion because all of a sudden you had a bunch of people and you couldn't provide services. So you overexpand and, and you rush the expansion when the pandemic ended, you know, I have to think that uh, tech companies as well knew they'd have to scale back. And that's what we're seeing now is the, the they're taking the expansions and saying, all right, what was like, cool, what should we keep? But also we need to scale back because we don't have the same user base that we did during a pandemic when people were just at home. Uh, I think that that's what's really going on with that. Okay. All right. So it, it's not a level of, uh, it, it's perception. It just sort of all rolls yeah. into one. Got it. Yeah. All right. So where does, uh, where does Musk go from here? How do you think it plays out over the next couple months? Does Twitter exist in two years? I think that, uh, I think that Elon Musk needs to figure out what his low ball number is, you know, what the bottom line is where Twitter can fall that he's still comfortable with. And I mean, if you have like over a billion dollars, you know, Basically, $44 billion was like giving someone 20 bucks and realizing you still have 1000 in your bank account. But even more so, it's more like you know, $0.02 because you still have a billion dollars, right? Um, I think Elon Musk needs to figure out what the lowest amount of money that Twitter can be valued at is at and know when to get out. But also, I think if he would just listen to the staff, if he would just hire or if he would rehire probably uh, the right people and just 
listen to them because this is a different kind of company than like a SpaceX or a Tesla. Take in their their ideas and their experience about content moderation and and free speech even, and user experiences, and, and really just take in that feedback, internalize it, and then use that for decision making instead of micromanaging. I think that's the way forward. Um, I do think he's enough of a change agent to change Twitter up and make it a little more appealing. I don't know how to do that. I'm not the ideas guy, but I do expect that something like that will happen. Like maybe he'll create Vine again or something uh, to try to compete with Reels and TikTok. I see that happening. I don't know if it's going to be successful, right? I, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up now that they're at this point. All right. Shameless self-promotion time, Caden. Where can people follow your work? So you can find me on Twitter, ironically enough. Uh, For at now. Caden Rosenbaum. For now, at Caden Rosenbaum. And if Twitter goes down, I don't really know what platform I'll <laughs> use because I don't use any other platform. But you can also find me at libertas.org. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-A-S.org, uh, where I publish everything. It's basically my VC uh, of everything I've ever published with Libertas. And that's where you can find me otherwise. All right, great. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Caden. Thanks, Chris. And listener, thank you for joining us. If you liked this, if you learned something, please share this with your friends. We really appreciate you being here, and we'll see you again soon here on The Chris Spangle Show. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L-plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a thousand shows that you can't get in the public feed. And you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jakey Dell, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, it is Iconic Insurance. 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com slash libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show.